Great. You guys are doing some really cool stuff there over VIA and you guys have raised a lot of funding. Me selfishly, as I build my own email tool, I want to talk about this conversation of you know, bootstrapping versus funding. You know, who's kind of like, wh- how do you know what's right for you and kind of maybe how much you guys have raised and how you've gone about that? Anything that's not too personal, let's, let's dive in. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I guess that there's, there's two buckets, right? Which is the bucket of, do you go and raise money or do you bootstrap? And so truthfully, I think it just depends on you as a founder. You know, some people really spend a lot of time on their products and they go to market quick and they accelerate really fast. I think any entrepreneur who's just starting out has to know that like, it's going to be a long enduring ride. And if you're just in it for money and quick, like go to market, quit making money, you know, there could be frames of thought to bootstrap. There could be frames of thought to just raise, uh, I personally believe that it's important to probably find who you are as an entrepreneur first and ask yourself some questions. So I guess, how did we decide that? Um, you know, massive credit to my co-founder Tejas and in, in raising money. And he's done a phenomenal job. We've raised roughly around 80 million bucks in the last 12 months. Wow. Um, and so I think from like a raising perspective, um, you know, it helps you kind of, have enough money to go build a rocket. Um, so I guess I could give you an analogy for raising and an analogy for bootstrapping. So for raising, starting with that would be, you obviously have a go-to-market plan. You have a product that works. You know, you've kind of identified your niche and you've seen like early signs of product market fit. You know, whether that's a D2C product that you've developed in my line of work, it's SaaS or software as a service. So, you know, for us, it's like, okay, we've built version one, but what is version two? How to differentiate from your competitors, your competition and do it well. And so if you think about like SpaceX, you know, they first had to have a lot of money. So they won a contract with NASA, right? So they won a ton of money. And so it's like, they, if you think about it, they had to have money first to go and build the rocket ship that they felt was the right thing to do. And so, although you've raised $80 million, you still have to define what parts of the rocket ship to go build. So you have early signs of SpaceX is going to go colonize Mars and make it there, but they had to have funding to do it. And so if your vision is very, very big outside of, I'm going to be a D2C founder who exits in five years, I'm going to make 15 million bucks and I'm going to just keep doing that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. That's like your choice, right? But if you're a D2C founder who's like bootstrapping to get to 100 million, there's something to be said about like, hey, maybe you could spend more time on your product that accelerates it faster in growth. But I've also seen the opposite side uh, where maybe some of the stresses of, uh, raising money from venture partners, not saying that venture partners are bad or anything like that. Our partners are incredible. I think that it's, Hey, are you an entrepreneurship or an entrepreneur that can take partnership feedback improvement and be okay with making others money along the way? Um, because when you take money, you do have a fiduciary responsibility to return money back to the general partners who are investing into you. And then they also have a fiduciary responsibility from them to return it back to the limited partners or the LPs that are in their fund. And so 
when I think about bootstrapping is you aren't really told what to do. So you bear all of the stress, all the failure, just like anything else as an entrepreneur. Um, but I do think that there is some reward and gain where there is vision that you get a set. Um, it's really your day to day. Um, and I think that some people like that more. Um, whereas like, Hey, if you're going to raise money, you're, it's, it, it really is about partnership. So long winded answer, but hopefully that gives you kind of an analogy for raising money and maybe why. And then, Hey, you know, if you're going to bootstrap, like it could be a slower process to get to market faster. But at the same time, if you have a product that's incredible that the market wants, you may have investors just coming to you and you're like, Hey, I don't need the money. Like I actually have created something that's just like happening and it works. So nice. Yeah. That's awesome. One last thing I want to touch on the fundraising side, and then we'll talk about like scaling and kind of growth. Um, I think you kind of alluded to this and maybe even briefly talked about this is like, you know, I guess one of the decisions towards raising versus not as market size for you that runs a SaaS business in the SMS space, that is a huge market and it's massively growing. And you have competitors that are boot or sorry, that are venture funded, right? Not too many people are bootstrapping in your space. So how how important is is that or was that to you when you looked at the competition seeing how much other people had raised versus you know where you were at and wanting to make sure that you can kind of be a leader in this arms race for lack of a better word? Yeah, I you know, one of my one of my uh, kind of learning experiences from my co-founder, he's always said that cap capital can be a differentiator in how you play offense or defense, right? And I think when you have lower amounts of capital, it's hard to be offensive, meaning like let's take shots on goal for new products and see if they stick to our market, as opposed to we know that SMS works. So as we've kind of built our product vision from SMS to FinTech products, to apps, right? As we go horizontally building, we would have never built those products without more capital and to be capital efficient, right? Just because you have $80 million doesn't mean you spend it. Um, you actually have to utilize it on strategic initiatives, growth, opportunity, how you take X to get to Y. So if you spend 17 million of 80 to get to this next number and continuing to go towards like a hundred million ARR business that's producing millions and millions of dollars for our customers, we're creating jobs, we're creating opportunity, knowledge and wealth for a lot of people you know, capital can be a huge differentiator in the market and in, and learning. I feel like it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do it without it, but I do feel like the competitors in the space that I actually think of as competitors are well-funded. Um, other competitors out there, I don't even know their names. Like I don't see them in sales conversations. Um, and I would call those people more ankle biters in this space. And that sounds really like petty and maybe asshole-ish of me, but like, I think like, truthfully, it's like they're ankle biters in the sense that it's like, Hey, we'll cut your pricing in half and they don't really have a product to support it quite yet. Or maybe they have a phenomenal product, but they have a very poor go-to-market motion. Right. And again, it's like your competitor is what you make it. But I feel like in our space, we usually have well-funded competition. So yeah. Awesome. Let's let's kind of transition then to like the the growth, kind of the acquisition, the marketing. Um, you know, iOS 14, 14.5, iOS 15, all of these things have been thrown at us over the past year, year and a half. 
you know, growth, growth is challenging. It doesn't matter whether you have money or not. And to your point, you want to be very efficient. Like, what are some of the things that you are thinking about? What are some of the things that you guys are doing that you feel have been, you know, helpful for growth? Uh, you know, is it agency partnerships? Is it going, running a bunch of ads? Is it affiliates? Like what are like one or two of the ways in which you guys are growing that, you know, maybe others aren't, or maybe just are effective for you? I think for us, Chase, it's all about like partnerships, right? Like um, not less like t- typical tech partnerships where it's like, hey, let's sign an agreement between each other and you pay us X, we pay you X. And it's like, that's it. Like that's one way, right? Of making money. But the thing that I've always tried to focus on is like authentic relationship building, right? Like having a palms down attitude where it's like, I just love this space. I love technology. I love the way that you can scale brands. Um, I love being able to talk to people about what I'm working on. And what I've learned is that most people want to support your vision before they want to buy a product. So I've always tried to err on the side of selling the vision and then introducing a product experience and then executing at a very high level on delivering value first with Via and then delivering value with my network. So it's like, hey, I plugged you into this vision. I gave you an incredible customer experience. And now it's like, how do I actually plug you into my network to where it's like, hey, are you running social? Are you running influence or influencer? Are you doing affiliates? Are you doing brand um, ambassadors uh, with affiliate? Are you running any traffic? Are you running email, right? Like, do you have all these things that you're running? And so what happens is I start to find that they're missing like maybe like four out of the five things that would be basic to help scale. And then it's like, oh, let me introduce you to Chase or let me introduce you to the space station. Let me introduce you to, you know, Uh, current tech, right? Like, so I have all these different people that I'm like, I know that you are doing the same thing as me, which is your palms down in your approach where it's, I know I can help you scale, but I'm going to ask you the right questions as opposed to let's do a short-term sell here. It's very transactional between me and Chase. We don't know each other, but it's like, oh, you have a brand, let's chat. Like, let's get you in the door as opposed to Chase, you're going to have a ton of questions about mobile. And I just want to help you solve the problems that you're facing because ultimately it's going to yield more money for you, yield more money for Via and make your customer happy, right? So like, how do you build that type of partnership and that relationship with people is something that I'm constantly innovating off of as opposed to, hey, like I write really saucy email templates or text templates to my my potential clients. Like that works, but at the same time, it's like, it's very transactional. I'm not that type of person. Right on. Super helpful. And the last question I have for you is um, <clears throat> given the landscape, right? Of SMS, there's a bunch of different players. Where does Via fit in? Like who is Via for and who's for Via? You know, are you guys targeting brands doing a certain re- revenue threshold in a certain vertical? So for example, uh, an e-commerce brand doing a million dollars in health and wellness. Like who, who's Via for? Like who are most of your customers right now? I think V is for people who want a partnership approach to their mobile, right? Strategy. So if I think about the competitive landscape, I think attentive is a competitor. I feel like Clavio is not a competitor, but they're a big player in the space for ESP or an email service. They're starting their SMS, but their SMS is like 
their non-dominant throwing hand where it's like, hey, we're really good at throwing email, but SMS is like, it's kind of like a nice all-in-one solution, but at the same time, I think that uh, they're not doing it too well. It's my own personal opinion. Uh, Postscript's in the space. Uh, Emotive is in the space. Octane is in the space. So given a couple, I guess, free marketing for all of our competition, but I think that they're different competitors for different reasons. I think where VIA fits in is that we're a partnership approach in the middle market. So if you're just starting out, like there are turnkey solutions to just start out where it's like, I just started my Shopify store and I'm selling earrings or I'm selling soap or I'm selling this. But as you move your way up market and you start to, I guess, have more of a dialed approach to like what you're doing, usually we're taking people from competitors and we're taking them up market. So brands doing, let's say, you know, a $10,000 a month where we have brands doing a billion dollars a year. So like for us, I think that we're competitive um, with Attentive, who's probably the biggest player in this space. Um, but I think our product offering isn't just SMS or one piece in the MarTech stack. Um, I think that we offer a variety of tools that actually increase product usage for us, but then also increase more value to the bottom line for our, our people. So who is VIA for? Um, specifically Shopify users, big commerce users. Um, we're working on other connections as well. Um, anybody who really likes the idea of increasing the ladder of loyalty, which is something I'll be talking about as I speak this year, which is like, how do you take people from a social eyeball to an email eyeball to an SMS eyeball to a app eyeball where it's like audience is very high on eyeballs, but it's like, what is LTV moving up that ladder? And I think if you're interested in like how you take somebody to like downloading mobile real estate and what that means to your brand and brand loyalty, as opposed to churning your customer base after let's say eight months and 80% of them are gone and you're just chucking more money into ad spend to keep, keep the business alive. So, I mean, again, I think it, for us, it's, we want people who are vision partnered. Um, who is it for specifically? We're not really verticalized into one specific space like healthcare automotive, just because in SMS or in mobile specific app or in fintech products, you're kind of like everybody's partner, right? Because there's a billion different use cases in the messaging space. So I would always say like, if you're a company like Purple, um, they sell mattresses right online the amount of times a person's going to buy a mattress right in a day is very low but the upsells on accessories could be high so that would be a customer that although very big right would be like focused on ancillary upsells or abandoned cart ratios or how do i have people who have clicked but not purchased or clicked but haven't purchased in the last seven days or 30 days or Hey, they purchased one thing, but haven't purchased something in less than six months or, you know, like they're more focused on heavy, heavy, heavy segmentation. And so I know that's a long-winded answer, but truthfully, that's kind of how I view the, view the market and maybe the competition a little bit. Super helpful. And then people can find you, is it via customers, plural? So via customers.com? Yeah. Yeah. So you can either hit me up on Instagram. It's just Greg underscore Woodfield and just DM me and be happy to chat with you as a founder. Um, or they can go to via customers with an S.com and you can read anything there. If you fill out something, it'll probably take you to 
one of our sales development reps who usually will run like a discovery call with you to see if you actually are looking for us or if you're looking for another solution. So cool, man. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Chase, you're a stud. Thanks, man. All right. Cheers.